Turn, if you would, we're going to go to chapter 15. It is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. And if you haven't been with us before, I'll be reading out of the a New King James and the Holman Christian Standard. First Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> and uh, just to give some context, we'll be starting in verse 35, but our text will be from 50, uh, 50 to 58. And I'll be starting in 35, just to give you a little background, okay? The nature of the resurrection body. And, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain. Perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men and another flesh of animals, another of fish and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is a resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Brothers, I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and corruption cannot inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Shall we pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our text this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the hope and promise that we have. Because of your resurrection, one day we will be raised and have a body that is incorruptible. 
Father, as we have even spoke this morning about some of these requests with uh, Bob Doberton with a stroke and with some who have had physical ailments, there will be a, a day coming for those who are still alive who will be removed from this body and we will be given a new body. And Lord, we are thankful and grateful and look forward to that time. But until then, help us to live in a way which will honor and please you. Help us to learn and grow and understand that although we face these trials and difficulties, there is a hope of one day to come. And Lord, I just pray that you might continue to direct, help us to just honor you, help us to remember that all that we do is not simply for our own benefit, but Father, as you bring through challenges in our life, it, it is not about us. It is an opportunity to honor you through that. So, Father, I pray that you might give us strength, your spirit might lead us and guide us, and we ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. <clears throat> change is coming. Sometimes we look at change, and there's those who come along right away. Oh, yeah, change. Technology. I like technology. I like drones. I like seeing the di different technology. But sometimes it can be frustrating as well because it's difficult. Then there's some who are kind of like, wait. I want to see. I want to wait um, to see what happens, and then I'll change. And that's fair, too. There's certain things that we should wait. You know, you can buy the latest vehicle, the latest car, um, the latest um, iPhone or whatever phone, but the challenge is, is that sometimes there's still bugs that need to be worked out. There's still um, challenges because of the function or the adaptability. And then there's those who, who say, change, I don't want to change. You know, last time I changed, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's too challenging. Yeah, I'd rather just uh, not do anything. It's a lot easier. So we have those who, uh, who, who look at change, and, um, but understand change is an inevitable. It will come. And last week we spoke about the resurrection of Jesus, the fact as we look at what Christ did, raised up a new body. And we are mortal. Life on earth is temporary. And we must understand that uh, the phrase change is coming and though it can be fearful, it also brings a new hope. So, so as we look at the text in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58, and we're going to focus on that. And really, this is kind of the culmination, the victory song, if you look at Paul writes about the resurrection back in chapter 15, verses 1, and talks about the importance of the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he addresses questions people had about it and how it affects those people who have already confessed their sins and enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So he's talking to believers who have some questions, legitimate questions. And so he's wondering what about them. And he uses a lot of um, hyperbole. Hyperbole is exaggeration. Well, if this hasn't occurred, then this hasn't occurred. Exaggerate. It's kind of like um, as you're talking, uh, children exaggerate. You know, oh, you know, if they have to wait. Oh, I had to wait with my parents, and it must have been at least four hours, and it may have been 15 minutes. But, you know, the exaggeration. Paul kind of exaggerates to get his point across, to help them understand what is taking place. And, you know, he says if Christ hasn't risen, well, this is not valid, and this isn't valid. And he's using that, not that he doesn't believe that Christ has written, but as making a point to help them to understand, obviously, you're foolish, understanding this. And these individuals have received the gift of eternal life. And he's talking that, guess what? Their bodies have been changed. And those who have gone on before, those who have slept, those who are 
dead in Christ, they will be resurrected, their bodies. And the first thing we want to look at in verse 50 through 53 is the reasons for the change. If you think about it, and let me read that as it starts in uh, verse 50, 53. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. As we look at the passage, and even thinking about in verse 51, I tell you a mystery. That word mystery is something, oh, mysterious, and we don't know what it means. It's something not known in the past, and something now revealed. And as he says, here's the mystery, he explains it. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. And this isn't a sign that you put on the nursery that says, we shall all sleep, we shall be changed, which is a, go a good sign for the nursery. But understanding is that their change is coming, and he gives the reasons for the change. And as I got to thinking about change, we live in, in the year 2017, and there has been plenty of change. If you think about it, if you might uh, relate to this culture in this time period, if you've ever tried to put your PIN number into the microwave, or maybe you, uh, you need a password to remember all your passwords, you've tried to open your front door with your key fob, uh, you, you do not remember what it is like to play solitaire with real cards, you have a list of 15 phone numbers for a family of three. You email your coworker in the next cubicle. You pull in the driveway with a vehicle full of groceries, then you send a text to see who's home to help you take the groceries out. You go online before you get coffee. You tip your head sideways to smile, or you know what an emoji is. So, but some of the younger generations might get that. But um, those are all changes that we've dealt with, and as, as it has come, to today's society, we understand that, and uh, whether we accept it or not. But here, Paul presents and says to the Corinthians, there's a reason for the change as we see these changes. First of all, your present position. The present position, where they were at in, in Corinth. And he says to them, life is short. Remember, it's been a little, just a period of time since the resurrection of Christ. But uh, the bodies are limited. Flesh and blood, here in verse 50, it says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And the term really refers to those presently alive. Those, any, if you're alive, you have flesh and blood. It's just another way of saying those who are alive. Um, and corruption or corruptibility does not refer to your morals, but simply refers to um, the situation of the decomposing, the dead. You know, we cannot enter heaven in these physical bodies. And some, to some of us, we look, well, that's difficult. But obviously, most of us, that's a good thing because these corruptible bodies are fading away. They are not getting better and better. Although you might hope that some super gene, you know, they can inject us to last forever, and, and it's the fountain of youth. But guess what? As we get older, as we progress, you know, everything becomes, oh, I remember when, or we always remember us being better than we were. You know, when I was younger, or when this occurs. So enjoy your youth, because it's not going to last forever, young people. But also, our present position, the, the next thing we look at is the past provision. The past provision. In verse 51, where he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. And that's important to understand, because 
the price has already been paid. And here, there will be Christians who will not die. And as we look at it, it goes on. It says, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. For the dead in Christ. For the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the dead. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall all be changed. And it's important to understand that those who are alive when Christ returns will not die. But will be transformed into a new body. Those who have a personal relationship with Christ. The promise and the prayer is always that Christ would return. And we believe he could return at any moment. And that is a promise and a hope. We look forward to that. And earlier in chapter 15, Paul explains the value of Jesus Christ's resurrection. See, Jesus Christ was the front runner, the trailblazer. As it talks back in Hebrews 6.20, he brought salvation to mankind through the death and was the first to ascend into heaven with this new body. And it was... Uh, as we think about prototype, here in Scottsdale, there's a lot of them. You've talked about these self-driving cars, and you know how these prototypes going around. You wouldn't want to jump into a vehicle, a self-driving vehicle, if it hadn't been tested, if it hasn't been taken care of. You know, we know about that one that got in an accident, and it wasn't even their fault. If anything, I think these self-driving cars will help other people drive correctly because they follow the rules. Most other people don't follow the rules, and it's like, wait, that car is going to follow the rules, so I have to kind of because of what will take place. But understanding the prototype, and Jesus Christ was the first of its kind in the new resurrected body. We talked about the scars that would be there, but it was something unlike we have ever seen. It says that he appeared in the midst of a closed room. Did it pass through the walls in this new body, but yet he also ate fish on the shore in John 20. And as we look at that, he was the forerunner, the trailblazer. Send it up into heaven with the new body. And there's now the need to fulfill our redemption. Someday we will receive a new body. We will be changed. Because this body is affected by sin. This body and the consequences of sin. And someday we will have a new body. There will be no pain. There will be no suffering. There will be no disability, if you will, in, in limitations of this body. And that will be a great thing. And that past provision... But it's only because the price has been paid. We talked about being redeemed. Bought back from the slave market of sin. We have been bought with a price. Those who have come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what redemption is. Those of you who grew up in the 80s collecting bottles for five cents. Or some of you who grew up in states that have that redemption. You understand that. Here we recycle but uh, we don't necessarily have the redemption. But it's an important concept. It's a biblical concept. Last thing we see here under the reason for the change is the future promise. The future promise is this isn't just life and that's it. For those who just believe, oh, live the best you can and take all that you can out of it. Because this is all there is. But the Bible says, guess what? There's still something to come, a future promise. There's a consequence for your sin, either death, um, death and then punishment, or there is a home in heaven. With Christ, John 14, 3, talks about that Jesus will return imminently or at any moment. And at that time, our bodies will be changed instantaneously. The angel said he will appear just as he left. Mount of Allah's Bethany, Bethpage. In the twinkling of an eye, our greatest expectation will be fulfilled. Jesus Christ is going to return and fulfill that promise. A promise kept. 
And so when it uses the word hope, it just simply means something that has not been fulfilled. It's not a hope that, oh, I hope that occurs. I hope my child does her homework. I hope, you know, my, my husband brings me flowers. Oh, that'll never happen. But this is something that has not been fulfilled that will, will occur. And that's as it looks at. And so that future promise, a home in heaven. But also as we look at the results of the change. Not only the reasons for the change, but the results of the change. And as we look at verses 54 through 57, it states, 54 says, When this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal is clothed with immortality, then the saying that has taken place, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And if you can think about victory, um, those who are an athlete or, I mean, if you're a Cubs fan, you probably understand a little more clearly what victory means because you've known defeat for so long. I actually was uh, rooting for the Indians, but um, Cleveland. But if you think about it, victory, or even personal victories, there's times where we take victories and relish them. We enjoy them, yes, especially in athletics. But in a military campaign, if you think about at that time, they understood it was their life that was at stake. And when you are victorious, you understand that you are now no longer under the reign of another. And here, the victory, the victory over, um, and it's alliterated with Sheol or physical death. Hold your spot and go to Hosea 13, 14. And I know, oh, sometimes people are like, Hosea, where in the world is Hosea? Back there in one of those minor prophets. Ezekiel, Daniel, Joel, Amos. Ezekiel, Daniel, and you'll get right after Daniel is Hosea, okay? I know sometimes we, I, they say, oh, those, those small minor prophets are hidden. And if you can't find um, Isaiah, you know, you open to the middle of your Bible, you get to Psalm or Isaiah. And then you get to if you find Isaiah, go a little farther, Jeremiah, Daniel, and then Hosea. And Hosea, if you're there, 13, 14. <clears throat> but Paul alludes back, and this is right out. He doesn't even allude. He takes this text right out of Hosea 13 and 14. And, and as we look at this, the judgment on Israel, but also he says in verse 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from their eyes. And then it goes into Isaiah 25, 8 and 9. And uh, it talks about, but my point is, as it looks at, back in the Old Testament, they understood Sheol being death, physical death, the place of the dead. And the new body permits the believer to have eternal life, to take part in eternal life. There will be no more separation, no defeat of death, that, um, no defeat of death that brings sorrow and sadness, that, that sorrow and sadness as a result of death. Death is separation, and we are, and it brings sadness, it brings sorrow. And as we look at that result, because of the change, there's victory over death. Death will no longer separate loved ones. Death will no longer bring heartache. If you've had death in your family, you understand what it means to be, see sorrow, heartache. But yet, because of the work of Christ in redemption, there is a future and 
victory over that, the consequences of that. But also, not only Sheol, there's victory over sin. And as we look here, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now the sting, and going back to um, 1 Corinthians 15, 56, now the sting of death is sin. And what a great word, that sting, because it really gives you an idea concept. Um, my wife's father um, works apiary and bees, and, and he asked me to sometimes move hives. And I'm always waiting, and usually it's at dark. And so you're always waiting, and it's like, oh, they, if you've ever had a honeybee sting, they don't usually hurt that much, but you're just waiting. You know it's, it's coming, but when is it going to happen? And so that's what I always hate, because it's going to be a sting, and then it's over with. Maybe you're, you're like that with a hypodermic needle in the doctor's office. And you, you know that you're going to get a shot, whether it be an immunization or even the dreaded tetanus shot that, oh, makes your arm feel all, all painful and, and numb. But you know it's coming. Well, here the sting. Thankfully, the sting only lasts for a period of time. And that's the picture here. As we look at the sting of death, it is a sting, but it's only temporary because of the consequences. And the sting of death, but the consequences, as we see here, it says the sting of death is sin. And the victory over sin, sin has resulted in the destruction of all that is good. We have always felt the consequences of sin in our lives. But Jesus Christ brings the victory. As it talks about in Hebrews 2, 14, one day we will be removed from the presence of sin that comes as a consequence of our sinful nature. Each of us were born into sin. And because of that, we will always choose to do wrong. Now granted, because of the Holy Spirit, there, there is a limitation in the sense that, thankfully, we're not as bad as we could be. Because some of us, we could be pretty bad. And some of you can, you know yourselves. You know how bad you can be. Even though, you know, we can dress up, you each dress up and look pretty well, clean on the outside, but yet, guess what? Within us, there is the effects of sin. And to understand that, that sinful nature. But no longer will we be defeated by sins of the flesh. Someday we will have victory over those sins. As Paul talks about it, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. But someday we will not be conquered by those sins. Change is coming. And finally, victory over self. As we look here and understanding, it says the sin of death is sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Now remember, understanding the Jewish and even the, the ones, the Greeks, the ones who were living there at the time in the church at Corinth, they understood and were learning about law. <laughs> the power of sin is the law. This refers for the Jewish, the Mosaic law, and the moral law. Because if you think about it, the Jews understood the Mosaic law and the Old Testament, the commandments. And anyone else has the law, the moral law, understanding what is right, what is wrong. And as those in society who try to push that away, your mores and and thinking about how to treat one another. Even in Scottsdale, they're, trying, they're going to have this, uh, the golden rule, they call it. Do unto others as you want to, them to do unto you. Where does that come from, right? But as we see that, 
Our, our consciences are affected by sin and constantly remind us of the past and our guilt and shame before a holy God. Victory over self is possible when we place our battles in Jesus' care and Satan uses that self-worth as a measure to, to deceive us. Because even when we think we're doing pretty good, all of a sudden something comes along. And the only way we can obtain true victory over self in our personal lives is to find the identity in Jesus Christ. Because an identity in Jesus Christ, no longer do we have to understand the, the, the reminders of the guilt and shame of where we've been, of how we continue to fail. But yet, because of what Christ has done on the cross, he has forgiven us and the advocate before God the Father. And so the constant barrage of not being worthy comes from because of the understanding of sin and the law. And it's written on our hearts, but someday that will change. Our conscience reminds us of that guilt and shame. But change is coming. And someday that will be removed in the new body. So as we look at going in 57 through 58, we want to see what is our response to that change. And as we go down, it says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you think about this, this whole victory song and, and, and understanding this, this heart of gratitude, and if anyone is grateful, I truly believe that Paul was grateful because of where he was before. And now he says, I'm the least of the apostles, and I was the chiefest of sinners. And he gives this action of thanks. He says, thanks be to God. So response, first of all, is an action of thanks. Our hearts should be filled with gratitude and love for what he has done for us. The work of redemption can only be completed in Jesus Christ. He's the one who's brought us back from sin's bondage. And we should never take that for granted on what we will receive in the future. Psalm 30.12, just a, a little verse here. It says, Psalm 30.12 says, So that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. Cannot keep silent. And just thinking about the praises. Continue to sing the praises. Had the opportunity last night to go to, um, our kids did a Peter Pan musical at, at um, their school. Everything went well. But um, outside, uh, we were speaking with the, um, the director's wife excuse me, the director's husband. The wife was the um, producer and director, and he was singing her praises, saying, oh, you know, she came down here, and she doesn't have to do it. She just loves to do it. And um, it really was, and, and that's understanding that uh, she did a great job, and the choir and everything went well, especially for the age group. But understanding singing the praises, an action of thanks, an action of thanks, not just saying thank you, because words can be meaningless. But in our gratitude, in our actions, showing thankful. How are we thankful for the redemption that has been given to us in Christ Jesus? Because someday that change is coming, giving a new body. How do we demonstrate our thanks? But also, the second thing we look at is an action of study. And here, as it says, who gives us the victory. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast immovable, always excelling in the work, in the Lord's work, 
steadfast, immovable. It was a picture of a Roman soldier. Paul uses it in other spots, I believe back in Ephesians 5, as the armor, um, those who would stand in the front line in a military line. You, usually you had a strong shield, and one of their goals was to hold the, front, hold the line as they would come across, and they, those sword bearers were to hold that line. If you think about it in the Arizona Cardinals, the goal line stands. You know, hold that line, let no one through. Steadfast, immovable. And the picture is, as we learn and grow, we must be doctrinally sound and consistent in our faith and practice, understanding what you were believed. Don't be tossed to and fro like a wave. Understanding what the Word of God says. And if you don't know, be like the Bereans. Study it out. Learn. Grow so that you can understand what. But don't just jump to every new wave of doctrine. Remember it talks about it's like in Timothy. They'll have itching ears. Every new New teaching they'll go to, but understand what the Word of God says. We must be clear in what the Bible teaches and firm in our convictions. But guess what? This Bible, the 66 books, it is not an easy book. And what I mean by that is it's just something you read once. Oh, I got it all. I learned it. There are those with PhD. Those are the rabbis. They constantly learn. Those, those individuals who have studied it for their whole lives, but they still didn't know it all. But yet, it's also a living book, a personal book, where you can read it, and you can take it and understand it, and the Spirit of God moves inside you, and you can apply it to your lives. And it can meet you where you are at, no matter what is going on in your life at this present time. You can read the Word of God and find peace and fulfillment, contentment of knowing what God's plan is for your life. And that's a wonderful thing. But it takes some study. It's not like the three bears. You know, they, you read the three bears when you're younger, and then you don't go to college and discuss, oh, I wonder about that, that middle bear. Why didn't, um, why didn't they sit in the other order of, of chairs? Why didn't Goldilocks go and sit, you know, eat the big porridge first? You know, they don't discuss that. It's just a, a child's book as they read about it, and they, dis they don't theor theorize on it. But the Bible, you go through, you read it. You meditate on it. Allow it to permeate, saturate, and understand it. And then read it again. Write some notes. And I truly believe if you're searching for truth, you will find it in God's word. And the last thing we look at is not only the action of thanks, of study, but also of service for our Savior. Always excelling, abounding in the, work, in the Lord's work. And looking at that word, the Lord's work, that is which one does with regular activity, work, or an occupation or task. You know, we must not forget that our Savior has left us with an assignment until he comes. As we think about even the ministry here at Grace Baptist Church, you know, we could just stay and be content, but that is not what the work that God has left for us. Understand, it is both personally to learn and grow, but also to share with others in this community, to understand what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to have a peace of knowing that if today were your last, you would know that you would spend it in heaven. See, the challenge of the Scottsdale area, the Tempe area, self-content. You don't need anyone. You don't need anything. You've arrived at this point. You're good. And so how do you help others understand that, guess what? You're still missing something. And you can ask them because you can arrive there, but guess what? 
you can have all that you want in life. You can have a multi-million dollar home, the best car, but how many of them are still unhappy, still do not have a peace because they're missing the most important ingredient in their life. And there are those who have nothing but yet are very content because that fulfillment comes in the peace of knowing that if today were your last, you have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ and you would be in heaven. That's a peace that passes all understanding. And here, as a service, understanding, we must not forget that that assignment, but to further the work of the gospel and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's sacrificial. And we forget that. And as a body, we believe that this church is not simply just its building, but the congregation. Each of you make up the church, the assembly. And understanding that we must be clear in what the Bible teaches, firm in our convictions, but our motive of why should we serve Christ. Our motive must be love with knowledge that our labor is not in vain. If I were to just tell you, oh, oh come here and uh, just serve, but well, with, with what purpose? If you think about the greatest leaders, the greatest leaders have always given an, a, a vision of where to go, but also how to get there, but not only how to get there, what is the benefit when you get there? It's like, okay, let's go here. We're going to go this direction. Well, why? Why should we do that? Oh, because it would be good for the company. Well, I don't care about the company. You know what that means? I get extra hour and, and no income, less income. Why would I do that? But a good leader will understand, well, guess what? There's benefit in it for you. And I'm not saying be self-fulfilling in the sense that, okay, what's in it for me? What's in it for you? But there are tangibles that we can understand because Paul says, our labor is not in vain. And truly there will be great reward, but also there is great understanding of being motivated because of the sacrifice that has been given for you. As we, as we see in the lesson of Easter and what has taken place. The price has been paid, but there was a price. Remember, we talked about that heart transplant. Imagine you're on a waiting list for a heart transplant. But guess what? Someone had to die for you to have life. And that's, as we think about it, the picture I want you to understand. But out of love, someone was willing to give up maybe a loved one's organ so that you could have life. But here, Jesus Christ had to die. But he did it willingly, following the plan of the Father, so that each of us would be able to receive the gift of eternal life. If you're here this morning and have never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe you're here this morning and say, you know what, I'm not sure if I would go to heaven if I were to die. Or if, if I were to stand before God and he said, and someone said, why should I let you into heaven? You'd say, well, maybe it's because of my good works, or I'm not sure why. You can know for sure today that you have eternal life. The Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Turn from your sin. It's an object of our faith. It's not a blind faith. Our faith is placed in an object worthy of our trust, and that is what Jesus Christ has done. 
So final thing, understanding, serving Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that must be a priority in our lives. And I just want to close with this verse. It's found in Philippians 3, 20 through 21. <coughs> Philippians 3, 20, 21. And it might be a little different on your screen. Um, I believe that's the New King James. So 3.20.21. But our citizenship is in heaven, <clears throat> from which we are also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Shall we pray? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the promise that we have, the hope that change is coming. And Father, we just pray that uh, you would truly do a great work in us. Until your return, our prayer is that you would, you would help us to, to know how we should live. Maybe there's someone here this morning who has who has never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and uh, that's you, if, if, if you can't answer the question, I'm not sure if I would go to heaven, I would just encourage you. You know, you can know today. And I would like to pray for you. If, if, you, if you're sitting here this morning and have never placed your trust in, G, trust in Jesus Christ, just slip your hand up, put it back down. Say, I'm not sure if I would go to heaven this morning. No one looking around, just slip it up, just, and I don't want to embarrass you. I simply just want to pray for you. But it's something that, it's a decision that you can make in your own seat, right here before you and God. Just ask forgiveness for your sins and asking Jesus Christ to come into your life and to save you, that you believe that he died on the cross, that he rose again. He can give you a peace that is beyond comprehension, a peace that no one's knowing for sure that you have a home in heaven. And those of you this morning, if you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, there is great victory. I would encourage you to live in a, in a way that demonstrates that victory. There are so many believers who are living defeated lives. They're just not understanding that there is great joy and victory. Granted, there's sin that plagues us, but there's also a hope, a promise. And if you live in such a way that demonstrates that you have victory in Christ, there will be those around you who will ask, what is going on? Why do you possess this great joy? Why do you possess this peace? And I want some of that too. And I would pray that each of you would understand what that means, that victory, that hope, because change is coming. And I'll tell you, that's a promise. That is a, a something they'll be looked forward to with great expectation. Father, I just pray for each one here this morning. I just pray that you might help us to live in such a way that demonstrates victory over sin, over death. Thank you so much for using us. Thank you for transforming us because anyone who comes to Christ, they're not the same. Sometimes... It takes a little bit, but we never leave the same as when, we, when you started with us. And I pray that you would help us 
to demonstrate that joy, to live with victory and a hope. And we ask this in your son's precious and holy name.